The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Yeah, it's called conversations with Jeff, not screaming matches. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on mm-hmm. when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though. And so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth. And then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Hey everybody! Welcome to today's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Uh, it's, it's again, it's it's been a blast doing all these uh, all these shows, all these podcasts, that sort of thing. Different guests, different topics, different conversations every single time. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun doing these. Uh, just want to let you guys know as well, we're doing we're doing a round two of the Saving America conference coming up this week, and it's going to be a shortened version of it. Uh, you know, but uh, you know, we've we've got a great lineup of people. Uh, we've got Joshua Fierstein again, Jerry Wayne, uh, Pastor Tony Spell, Trevor Loudon, Cal Beisner, Annie Cyrus. We've got a few more people that uh, we're waiting for confirmations on as well. But uh, make sure you guys tune in on the American Conservative Movement's Facebook page, and we'll be streaming starting at about twelve thirty p.m. Pacific time on Saturday. So check that out. Mark your calendars. Tune in for that. Um, you know, I'm really excited about today's uh, podcast. We're bringing uh, in um, Representative Matt Shea, uh, who's joining conversations for the first time, but he spoke at the last Saving America conference. And I'm glad that I can sit down with you, and I'm looking forward to picking your brain on some stuff today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's great to uh, talk about these things. It's so important with what's going on in America today. Yeah, well, I feel I feel like these are such unprecedented times uh, and I th- and I think to a certain degree, what's been fascinating to me is seeing not only the big government, you know, power grab that we've been seeing, but then also the response from a lot of conservatives, which shockingly has been kind of rolling over and just going along with it. Uh, you know, wh- wh- what's your take on the current state of events right now with all of this going on? Well, I, I think it's it's always important to start with the Constitution. You know, it's it's that document that was written in emergencies for emergencies and cannot be eviscerated because of aver- emergencies. So I think we need to start with the Constitution of the United States. And the fact of the matter is that no governor's power is unlimited. And each governor must have a compelling interest 
and use a narrowly tailored means to address any danger when they have any sort of a, a state of emergency that they declare. And the problem is today that not only in a lot of ways are they not using a narrowly tailored means, they're using the broadest means possible, but they're, they're acting in an arbitrary and capricious manner. And, and all actions of the state, any agent of the state, ha- cannot be arbitrary and capricious. They have to be and comport with the Constitution of the United States of America. And the problem right now is they're asking the wrong question. They're asking the question, which business is essential? And so we have these big snitch networks are saying, well, that business is not essential. That possibly is essential. That can't possibly be essential. When that's really not what we should be asking at all constitutionally, we should be asking, can a business open safely? As soon as you say one business is essential and another is not, you are acting in an arbitrary manner that's unconstitutional right on its face. The other is capricious. We saw that with the Michigan governor where she threatened to extend the stay-at-home order uh, if there were more protests. Well, that, that is a capricious action by definition, therefore unconstitutional. So I always like to start with the Constitution before we kind of move on to the rest of these things. Uh, and I, I don't think a lot of people 10 years ago would have ever thought this would happen in America. No, I mean, I, I literally feel like we're in like an apocalyptic movie uh, you know, where we're like in the future, we've got drones, you know, you know, following people around and checking their temperatures remotely. You know, down here in California, we literally had helicopters flying low along the beaches with megaphones yelling at people to get off the beaches. And it, it's, it's like something that you net, like, again, like you were saying, how is this America? That's the thing that I don't understand about all of this is I get this in other countries. I get this in Europe. I get it in Asia. I get it in South, I get it in other places. But in America, it's like, this is, this is new. This is not something that should be happening here. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com spiritpark. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. Hey, this is Jeff Dornick, co-founder of the American Conservative Movement. Mark your calendars for Saturday, May 30th, as we'll be doing our third edition of the Saving America Conference, which will be streaming live on our Facebook page. Past speakers have included Pastor Greg Locke, Joshua Fierstein, Mindy Robinson, Annie Cyrus, Trevor Loudon, and so many more amazing conservative speakers. We've been averaging about 25,000 viewers per conference, and I hope that you'll join us for this next one. For more information, go to AmericanConservativeMovement.com, and we'll see you for the Saving America Conference on Saturday, May 30th on the ACM Facebook page. Right. And people say, well, what, what do you do then, Matt? You know, and, and well, the first thing is your county commissioners and your sheriffs should be standing up for these businesses and putting 
their jobs on the line to protect the jobs of their constituents, not the other way around, you know. And But we're not seeing that. I, I've heard some local elected officials saying that they can't do anything because of state funding, to which I very um, tersely responded, you didn't take an oath to state funding, you took it to the Constitution of the United States. And, you know, you also hear some of these folks say, well, I can only do a little bit. I can only do – I don't want to be sued – Look, again, put your job on the line instead of your constituents. That's the way we should always be as elected representatives, I think, whatever level. And, you know, we look at this just kind of taking a step back. Does any of this really make sense? And, you know, for rational reason people, these responses are nonsensical in so many ways. Masks on healthy people, for example, alone in their own car, you know I mean? You just see these just weird things, and you're like, that, that doesn't make any sense on its face. And I'm not a doctor, but that just doesn't make sense. And I think that that's why so many Americans are beginning to resist and push back. And you have, a, like, what happened in Texas with a lady who finally said, I'm just going to open and do the courageous thing. And sure enough, she was vindicated by the Texas Supreme Court this morning and, and many other people who sided with her. I think she raised almost half a million dollars um, for her courageous stand against tyranny. That's the way we need to be all across America. Alexander Solzhenitsyn in his book, Gulag Archipelago, one of the best books ever written on freedom. They're riding in a train car, if you can imagine this, to the Gulag, and they're they're talking, hey, what could we have done and when should we have done something? I mean, can you imagine that horrible question? But ultimately they came to this, that when the tyrants try to come and take your neighbor's stuff, that's when you need to stand up with your neighbor and say, no, you can't go any further. Yeah, well, and I think that that kind of leads to the question that I think maybe it's been confusing for a lot of conservatives is what should we have done? So, like, as conservatives, what should have our position been in response to an outbreak, a pandemic? You know, let, let's just assume that all the statistics are correct, that, you know, it's highly contagious, a lot of people can die from it, that sort of thing. What should the conservative constitutional response to something like this be? Well, I think, you know, knowing what the circumstances were, that this this was indeed uh, a leaked, uh, you know, people are using different terms, engineered, modified, altered, whatever. Okay, potential bioweapon, because it did have a SARS protein in it that allowed human transmission from a Wuhan bio lab. Okay, we know that it came from there. We also know that the Chinese used fourth generation warfare to exploit these types of situations. So, I think the initial response, just like you would see in the Bible in Leviticus of when somebody comes with a skin disease, you wait and observe for a little bit. And I think the initial response was good to wait and observe. But after a couple of weeks, it was very clear that this virus was not the high risk to the major uh, population centers that it was claimed to be. It was actually a low risk for the vast majority of people. And at that time, then you readjust and go back to what the Constitution says we should do. But right now what we're seeing, like in Washington State, and I know in California they're talking about the same thing, the governor is extending this effectively all the way through July at the very least. And people are saying, well, wait a minute, my business is going to be destroyed by then. My family is going to be destroyed. All the families that depend on me are going to be destroyed. What do we do now? And clearly this is not the right response at this point. Yeah, well, you know, like out out here in California, we've got, you know, Gavin Newsom where he's got his like four-phase plan to reopen, you know, California. And what's funny is that uh I've got, you know, a lot of liberal friends, obviously it's in California. I mean, you can't you can't live without, you know, bumping into a liberal. Uh but, you know, like they'll text me and they're like, 
See, isn't it great? He's reopening California on Friday. And you look at his reopening plan, and it's, we're going to open music stores, bookstores, sporting stores, but you can't go inside. You can only do curbside pickup. And I'm like, is that really a step in the right direction? Like, who who really is going to be like, okay, I need to go to the toy store and pick up something at the curb? Yeah, exactly. In the Army, I actually studied uh, NBC, nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare, and I've studied it for the better part of my adult life. And you see the lack of understanding of how viruses are actually transmitted when you see some of these just nonsensical things. You're still having contact with people. And then you watch people that are wearing gloves, touching everything, and then they touch their face with the glove. Well, the glove didn't do anything, right? It's yeah. it's just another vector of transmission. So you see these kind of ridiculous things, and it just raises the question, you know, is this the right approach? Obviously, it's not. The right approach is not a fancy plan, not another task force, not a bunch of uh, a blue ribbon panel, a bunch of elite experts. Just get out of the way of the American people. Unshackle the entrepreneurial spirit and get us back to work. If we just get out of the way, government that is, we will see America ignite again. And in just a few months, we will be back to where we should have been here a month ago. Yeah. Well, you know, and the scary thing for me is, again, like I know here in California, there's been a few other states where they've been mentioning this, is that uh, like here, we're in shelter-in-place orders until uh, there's a vaccine, and not only just a vaccine, and we have immunity, which could go on months, if not years, after we even get a vaccine before we get to that point. So we're talking his plan, Gavin Newsom's plan, is literally shelter-in-place until we have herd immunity. And it's just like, constitutionally, does he even have the authority to go down that route? I don't think he obviously does. Again, a, a governor's power is not unlimited, let alone in perpetuity. You know, like we can suspend elections and, you know, he's going to be the governor forever. You can't do that. And everybody kind of knows that intuitively. And I think that as we see these court challenges come forward, I think that, that we're going to be vindicated in this view. The problem is that those court challenges take six months to a year to come to fruition. And in the meantime, you have devastation wrought across most of the Western United States and, and most of the Northeast. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and, and kind of the cool thing has been seeing, uh, you know, conservatives beginning to rise up. I'm surprised, honestly, it's taken so long, but we're getting, we're getting to that point. You know, we had a bunch of rallies. You guys had a rally up there in Spokane. Uh, how, yeah. how did, we were kind of ta talking a little bit before we came on, but how did that go? Um, I know you guys had a pretty good turnout up there. We did. We had about 2,000 people that showed up, although the mainstream media tried to say 300, but we had video of the entire thing, and and th then it was kind of – they were walking back after that. But the fact of the matter is we had 2,000 people show up. We had people from the Vietnamese community and the Slavic community and the black community and the Hispanic community and business owners and pastors. I mean, we, it was a broad swath of just regular Americans who said enough is enough. We want to go back to work. And, you know, unfortunately, some of the local elected officials were kind of tone deaf in regards to this. And, you know, that that really kind of infuriated a lot of folks, you know, uh, local law enforcement officers, particularly the county sheriff, have so much power. So do county commissioners. If they just realize it, you know, they can prevent some of these agents and agencies from coming in and threatening business licenses and all this stuff, they can stop a lot of this stuff from happening. And if you had every county doing that in a specific area or state or region, then you would see these governors 
walk back, like we're starting to see with Governor Newsom in California, walk back some of these things that they put in place. And that's that's really the way that it's supposed to work. The people are the government, not some of these folks who think they have more power than they really do. Yeah. Now, now, what's been the response from the leadership in Washington? Like, are things heading in the right direction or are they kind of like digging their heels in? And like, how is that going? Well, the governor of Washington state just isn't listening. We, we petitioned for uh, a special session uh, on several occasions. He's not doing that, not listening to, you know, the nonsensical things about closing residential construction, for goodness sakes, which is by virtue of everything there. Sorry about that. By virtue of everything with residential construction, it, you are already socially distant, right? So he's not listening to any of that stuff. And so what's happening is, People in eastern Washington are just beginning to reopen. They're just opening their doors and they're saying, just like in Texas, to heck with this. And we are going to do the right thing and we're going to exercise our freedom and exercise our right to work, too, and, and, and you know, open our business and, and employ all these fine and wonderful people that we have. So they're, they're doing that right now. Traffic uh, patterns have upticked dramatically. There's rush hour again. It's kind of great to actually see rush hour. I never thought I'd say I that. I know. That's crazy. <laughs> it's happening again. So that's what's going on in Washington. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new spirit park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey, Jeff Dornick here. Wanted to let you know about our first book that we published called Social Injustice. We brought together 12 different authors, each tackling a different aspect of social justice and comparing everything with scripture. Whether you want to know more about white privilege, income inequality, LGBTQ issues, illegal immigration, or even just the history of the movement, this book is for you. With authors such as Dr. Andy Woods, Brandon Howes, Thomas Littleton, Dr. Mike Spaulding, Pastor Ken Peters, and all of the GK guys, this is definitely a must-have for your reading list. We are also honored to have the great conservative voice Michael Massey write the forward to this book. Head on over to gatekeepersonline.com slash store to order your copy of the book and use code Jeff at checkout for 10% off. That's gatekeepersonline.com slash store and use the code Jeff at checkout. Now, back to the show. Okay, now now what, what 
what should or what what can be the repercussions for these governors that are essentially acting as emperors and dictators and kings and things like that? Like how how do we as conservatives combat that? Because I feel like we're kind of have our hands tied behind their back because they're not listening to us. How do how do we move forward with this? Well, again, I think I would call it civil obedience. A lot of people say civil di- disobedience is civil obedience. We're obeying the Constitution. They're not. So if, if we're ignoring them and noncompliance is occurring and people are just opening back up like happened in Texas, you're going to see a reaction initially from them. But ultimately, they don't have the power. And the attorney general of the United States has actually said, I'm going to weigh in in some of these states where they're trying to prevent religious services. In Washington state, for example, governor just came out and effectively banned communion together. You know, he's, he's banning a sacrament. And if you go all the way back to Thomas Jefferson and the Danbury Baptists, Thomas Jefferson said there's a separation of church and state. And it's not what you see in the modern mainstream media. It was a separation in that government couldn't dictate how churches could hold services. And now here exactly is what is happening in Washington state. So I think the attorney general of the United States is starting to weigh in. And I think that that's going to uh, precipitate some quicker timelines than we initially thought. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw I saw some guidelines for for when we can open up churches. I, th- I believe it was out here in California, and um, you know, and that's still not even going to be for probably another three months, six months, something like that, which is nuts. Um, but what some of the guidelines that they were putting out was obviously no communion, which again, where does the government think that they have the right to tell us how to worship? And uh, wh- that's a whole other thing, right? But then right. one one of the things that they were saying was don't sing. And, you know, and, and I think a lot of it is, is there, is there saying that you're projecting out and there's, you know, your saliva or whatever it is, is going out into the air. And I'm just like, seriously, you can't sing in church. Like this is, this is where we are now. Look, Jeff, the, the bottom line is we should just all be taking vitamins, keeping our immune system up and washing our hands. We should be doing that anyway. That, that is the greatest thing that we could do right now. All of this other stuff that is being put out there really is a contrivance. And just like you said, that doesn't really make any sense at all. And particularly when you're talking about communion, where you have individualized cups that are poured individually. Somebody can wear gloves when they're pouring it. You know, you can have individualized wafers. Some come together in a little kit. It doesn't make any sense at all, unless there is a hidden agenda behind it to start to get people used to some of these controls and some of these restrictions and some of this lack of freedom. And uh, we have to resist that with everything, every fiber of our being. Yeah, which I think kind of leads us into the conversation of, number one, how do we get out of this? But then where do we go from here as as conservatives uh, mo- moving forward, coming out of essentially this humongous power grab? And how do we make sure that we actually get our constitutional rights back? Well, first, I think we need to realize, you know, what's happening in the world. And that means we need to understand China. China is not our friend. And I think that this is an important point to start with. Uh, General Chi's uh, secret speech, it was actually Chi Watian. He was a general in the Chinese army. And and you had the uh, anti-communists smuggle this speech out of China. And in this speech, I mean, it's if you read it, it's very short, but if you read it, it's got some pretty scary stuff in there about what they think about the United States. And they very clearly say the United States is a target, and they say they should use a bioweapon against the United States. And then in a later document called Unrestricted Warfare that was published by two Chinese colonels, they talk about the fact 
that there should be an EMP potentially used against the United States of America. So we kind of know what our, you know, what our enemies are saying, and I, I would want to take them at their word. I mean, these aren't these aren't low level, you know, uh, military functionaries. These are, these are high level generals. These are planners. These are strategic planners, particularly. So let's take them at their at their word. Okay, so if that's the case, and we can recognize what some of the dangers are, and we can reopen America because otherwise we're playing into the communist Chinese narrative of closing our country, making America weak, devastating our economy or economic warfare, if you will. And we can mitigate against all of those things and then actually go after the threats that they're actually talking about and that they're planning for. For example, hardening our grid as Donald Trump put something out the other day, an executive order in regards to our grid here in America. And we can also take precautions against specific bioweapons that might be used against the American people. So in, in the initial wave of that, if there is a bioweapon that was ever unleashed again, let's say, the initial wave of that immunity, just natural immunity, being healthy is going to be part of that. So one of the things we could start doing right now is encouraging healthy lifestyles for Americans. Churches could do it. We could all across society. So I think that that's what the important thing to do is, is understand kind of what is reality outside, kind of the brutal reality, prepare for that, but not be waylaid with these these broad sweeping things that really actually play into the enemies of our country and their narrative and, and their plan. We should never go that route. We never should, ever. Right. Well, and I'm glad you brought up, you know, promoting like a healthy lifestyle because I think that that's, you know, like when you actually look at coronavirus and you look at the people that are having really bad reactions to it, it's people that have diabetes, it's people with cancer, it's people with lung disease, with liver disease. And it seems like a lot of those are self-inflicted with poor lifestyle choices, with poor diet, not exercising, like certain things like, like diabetes for the most part could be reversed except for the genetic, uh, you know, the genetic version, but the one, most of it's self-induced by too much sugar, too much carbs, too much processed food. That's something that could easily be changed and actually fight off against things like this. It, absolutely. And again, you know, the, these comorbidities, that's the vast majority of people that are uh, being severely affected by the coronavirus have these com comorbidities and there's study after study after study that shows this. So, again, the greatest thing that we could do in America is be healthy as a country. In fact, that's a geostrategic issue now. It really is. Um, the other thing is we have to get our oil production back to where it was. That is a geostrategic issue. We have to open our manufacturing and bring manufacturing back from overseas. That is now a geostrategic issue, and particularly the manufacturing of pharmaceuticals, which China now – uh, you know, had what over 80% manufactured in China of the pharmaceuticals consumed in the United States of America. My goodness gracious, whoever let that happen, you know, quite literally put us in a life or death scenario with one of our potential future enemies, the Communist Chinese Party. Yeah, well, you know, and that, that's the thing, and, and I've been talking about this even before, like, Trump came around, was we need to get back to relying on, on American manufacturing, and that goes for food, pharmaceuticals, just business in general, and that sort of thing, because I feel like we're relying so much on importing from these places that do cheap labor, there's no regulations, no standards, no anything like that, and so number one, you know, it's we're, we're profiting off the backs of practically slave labor. But then the other side of it is it's a national security thing. This is a perfect example of that. If we could be self-reliant, 
them having coronavirus over the over there may not have even come over here if we weren't doing so much business with China. Right, and and we we were funding. I mean, that, that's what's so egregious about it. we were funding the research. I mean, what you know, people say, well, how would you fund this? Well, we can start by not funding them and putting that money into I don't know tax cuts for our manufacturing for those sectors, for example, and see some pretty explosive growth in those areas, which we actually in the United States used to manufacture quite a bit. And, you know, we can go to uh, natural gas. We have a 400-year reserve in the United States of America. Um, We can produce all our own oil. We can produce all our own food. And actually, we can produce most of our rare earth minerals instead of relying on China to do that. So there's a lot of things that in the future we can do to become self-reliant, self-sufficient, which makes us stronger as a country and actually brings peace because then there's peace through strength and people don't see weakness in America. They don't try to attack us. Now, the last couple of weeks, we have seen cyber attacks from countries like Iran, countries like North Korea attacking critical infrastructure, trying to attack critical infrastructure like our grid here in America to kind of hit us while we're down. So we need to not allow those things to happen, and it's just the American way to be self-sufficient anyways. We just need to get back to that. And this dependency culture really needs to end, Uh, and one of the ways it can end is a robust manufacturing sector where everybody has a great job. And, you know, it's really that simple, and America can retool very, very quickly, six to eight months, and get manufacturing just up and running again, get our smelters up and running again so that we're doing the things we used to do 30 years ago uh, that led us to defeat the former Soviet Union. Yeah. Now, it, it, one of the one of the fascinating things that, that I feel like has, has come about this is really seeing how the left is responding to, uh, you know, criticism of China and criticism of, you know, our dependency on China and things like that. And, you know, it's it's almost like and again, I don't I don't want to put out conspiracy theories or, or anything like that, but it's almost like they're in cahoots with them in the sense of. Why else would they be defending a communist dictatorship like China that literally has affected the world to the extreme that it has? Yeah, and, you know, some people obviously are unwittingly playing into the narrative, but yeah, there's some others that are very educated that have watched the Epoch Times documentary that had all the primary source documents linking things to the Wuhan lab. They've seen that, and yet they still are saying, no, China's good, they wouldn't kill their own people. Well, they've been killing their own people for the last 80 years, okay? This isn't something new. They have been just ruthlessly persecuting Christians in China. Tons of stories. Uh, Brother Yoon's The Heavenly Man tells some of the more brutal um, stories in that respect. So we know that this has been happening. Why would you ever defend that? Why would you ever defend that? Because what you're essentially doing is allowing their... Fourth generation warfare, their information operations, their attacks in the media, their political warfare to succeed because you're playing into the narrative. And again, stepping back and just looking this at this objectively, we should never try to play into those kind of things either way, ever. Yeah, yeah. And, and so so I think, you know, kind of getting back to a little bit of how do we get out of this and where do we go as, as conservatives, I, th- I think to a certain degree, too, we, we need to start looking at, okay – you know, maybe have, as conservatives, have we been failing over the last several years in trying to preserve our, constitu- our constitutional freedoms so that way something like this doesn't happen? And, you know, do we need to be fighting even when times are good in order to preserve our constitutional rights? 
Well, I, you know, so I, I think lang- there's a great book um, called Abuse of Language, Abuse of Power, and I think we need to reclaim the language. So, for example, you know, we have we have unalienable rights. They exist outside of government. They're protected by our Constitution, so constitutionally protected rights, for example. We have these things that that we need to reclaim the language on, I think, first – and it's an education thing always first. The second part of this is we need great leaders, not just in politics, because a lot of people, they view politics as kind of this dirty thing. Well, it's dirty because you don't have people of light in there that are shining light where the, where the cockroaches are and, and getting that stuff out of there. We need great leaders in politics. And for Christians that are watching right now, it is just another mission field. So people that you know try to poo-poo it, it's just another mission field. So let's treat it like another mission field. We also need great leaders in the church. There has been there's a need for reformation and transformation in the church. There has been a lack of of principled leadership for a very very long time, calling things out, laying things on the line. Um, instead, people have taken the easy way. Well, I just don't want to get involved in that. You know, same-sex marriage issue, it's, it's kind of a difficult issue. People get upset about it instead of doing it in a loving way but having a firm, principled stand, which is what we're really called to do. I think that's where it starts, education, reclaiming the language, and principled leadership. If we do that, uh, we see America just boom again, and there's a lot of great American leaders that aren't getting involved that need to be. And uh, I always like to say that Leadership is not the ability to compromise. It's actually the ability not to. It's the ability to be able to articulate your position, to bring people over to your point of view. And those are the kind of leaders that we need today. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforumc.org. Hey, this is Jeff Dornick, co-founder of the American Conservative Movement. We are an organization seeking to unify conservatives across this great country to defend our constitutional rights that are being systematically stripped away by our authoritarian government. Please visit AmericanConservativeMovement.com and join the thousands of conservatives across this country who have signed up for our email list. Let's take back our country. Yeah, well, so so dealing with, like, compromise, like, at what level, you know, as somebody that's in politics and, at, like, a representative and things like that, 
where do you find the line of this is appropriate to compromise on or we just need to hold the line and hold firm to our beliefs? Like, how do you weigh that? Well, I, I think that it's easily easily summed up as compromising on process versus principle. So getting something done, there's different ways you can get some things done. You can compromise on those things, but you're not compromising on principle. And, and you need to understand the Hegelian dialectic, but that sounds like, well, what is that? It sounds like something you catch maybe, you know, at the beach sometimes if you don't wash your feet off or something, you know, people don't understand that this is the way it works. The Hegelian dialectic is a, a Marxist technique to turn conversations and truth from what truth actually is, what is actually reality into a pseudo reality. And that's it in a nutshell without going into a big dissertation. You, you, we have truth and reality that we need to get back to. There are men and there are women biologically. That is a truth. You can't really spin that around. And we need to get back to those kind of things to reclaim the language and, and understanding that we don't compromise on those kind of things. And that's what dialectical materialism actually requires is we compromise on those. And they'll say, oh, well, wait a minute. You know, you don't want to compromise on, you know, that truth. I get it. But could you help me on this one thing? That one thing is, again, a compromise on principle. We can't do that. So that's kind of how I've approached things in politics. And I've always tried to find out what I agree on uh, with somebody else. There's a card-carrying – this is a true story – card-carrying communist in the Washington State Senate. He and I disagree on 98 things, but we agree on two things. And so we would work together on those two things, which are principled for me. We work on those two things, and we get that done. That's the kind of idea of building coalitions around issues of principle instead of compromising because you think that that's the politically expedient thing to do. Right, right. And, and that, that, make, that makes perfect sense. I think, you know, like dealing with kind of this progress of – of to a certain degree it's it's almost brainwashing like like what you were talking about is you know like I always look at you know like the cults right whether it's you know mormonism or scientology or whatever it is and they always do things in incremental steps right and they get you to accept something that's very simple that's slightly off and then once you accept that as true then they move on to the next thing and that's really something that we've been seeing uh, you know, with, with the left and the Marxists infiltrating into our country is they started with very basic uh, you know, simple things that were just slightly off, and then they just kept building on that and building on that. And I feel like now we're finally at that top level where it's like, how did we get to this point to where we literally think there's 73 genders and the world's going to implode in 12 years unless we fix global warming? Like it, it, like, but it was it was incremental over the last several decades leading up to this point, and it's just for whatever reason, for whatever reason, I feel like conservatives have been kind of caught off guard with it. And we, yeah, if you understand the Hegelian dialectic, you can understand what's called classical synthesis, or the idea that there is truth that's written into creation and truth that's revealed by the Lord through his word. And you can stand on those things and start to ask some questions. For example, why was Greenland called Greenland? And were there ever farms on Greenland? And when was that? And was that before the age of industry? And you can, you can start asking some questions that really reveal the fallacies that we're facing. For example, we just were talking about essential and non-essential businesses. I, I reject that underlying premise that one business is essential and another one is not. I, I reject that wholeheartedly out of hand because once you go down that road, 
then essential businesses should maybe be more uh, closely managed because they're essential, right? And if something happens to them, your safety could be in jeopardy. I just reject that entire premise out of hand, and we need to recognize these subtle things that are happening to us. Masks mean safety, right? If you're wearing a mask, you must be safe. Unless you're going on a jog or you're in a car by yourself or you have an underlying health condition, you, you just have to start asking some of your friends questions. And that's what I would, you know, everybody watching, start asking them questions grounded on the truths that you know are actual objective reality. And once you start doing that, you see some pretty interesting things happen. Some lights go on. Some other people just completely reject reality. Quite literally, they will say that. They reject reality and primary sources and they want to go and live in their pseudo reality, which is a completely separate topic for another day. Yeah, well, you know, and, and I think even even going along with that to a certain degree, there's for for so long we've had this we've had this issue of having subjective truth, and everybody can have their own version of the truth. And now we've gotten we've got literally gotten to the point to where it's all rooted in feeling. It's all rooted in whatever you think is right as opposed to being rooted in something like scripture as opposed to being rooted in something like the constitution it's like people have forgotten that there is a source for truth and that we all have to have this common idea of okay the the constitution is our source of truth in the sense of it's our ultimate law we need to be we need to be able to agree on that and i feel like we can't even agree on that right now it's like all of a sudden, it gets thrown out the window by many on the left and even many on the right now, too. And so how do we get back to this, there is something like objective truth? Again, I think it's asking questions, and, and we, we just have to preach the truth in love. We have to preach the truth. We have to call out fallacies like uh, obedience to God's word is not hate, okay? But it's being portrayed as hate on a lot of uh, TV networks, a lot of shows, kind of subtly in the media. I think one of the greatest things we can do is turn our televisions off, put our smartphones down at night, and actually read some of the classics. You know, oh my goodness, that sounds boring, right? Well, if we want to reclaim Western civilization, we need to do this. And and if we don't, truth will just get farther and farther and farther away from us. One of the things that, that's interesting, too, is I, I had a, a 40-hour uh, class that I went through on theology and and talking about absolute truth and different religions in the world and everything. And at the end of it, the professor teaching this said one line, and I will never, ever forget it. He said, do you want to know what the answer to everything is? The existence of truth proves the existence of God. And then he walked away. You know, it's just it's kind of one of these things where you're just, why didn't you tell us that at the beginning, right? The fact that there is truth, that I can say that a flag is blue, a flag is red, a flag is white, that I can say that, that that is reality, that there's a truth there, that has profound implications for everything else. And I think we have to start every single conversation when we get into these these attempts at dialectical uh, manipulation that we have to stop and we have to ground it back in truth. You know, when somebody says, well, there is no absolute truth, well – that's an absolute truth, right? You, you you can't have it both ways, can you? How do you know that that's, you know, true what you just said, you know? I think we need to do that and, and have this intellectual discussion because the thing is that pseudo-reality breaks down very, very quickly, but it takes a little bit of work. And, and for too long, we've wanted to play it safe and not have difficult conversations in America, and we need to get back to that.
No, absolutely. And, and, and I think as conservatives, one of the struggles that I think that we have oftentimes is that the left is often portrayed in the mainstream media and by themselves as well as being the loving, caring one because they give you all the free stuff. And then the right is, is considered the mean, stingy, billionaire uh, laden, you know, side of politics where we don't want to share with anybody. Right. And, and how, how do we co- combat that as conservatives when we are talking about personal responsibility, no welfare, you know, not passing, not giving out free things, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you know, it's like it's still the right thing to do. How, how, do, how do we convey that to the masses? Well, you know, as a Christian, uh, it's very clear we're supposed to love our neighbor. Well, that means that government's not supposed to do it for us. That is an individual charge that we are supposed to love our neighbor. And if we're not doing that, and government is doing it for us, and something is very wrong. So I think that conservatives need to redouble their efforts, particularly at philanthropy and getting out beyond the four walls of the church and ministering to people, going and finding out what's what's going on with their neighbors, helping their neighbors out where they can. Uh, you know, I'm sure you get probably hundreds of messages a day and just a little thing can help that person out and and they're on their way. Those are the things that we need to do. And candidly, we're being forced into this position, whether we want to or not, because of the usurpations of power, because of the inaction or the feckless leadership of some of our elected officials. A lot of people right now are hurting really, really badly. And so we need to step in. We need to love them. We need to find out what their problems are. We need to help them, maybe even try to find employment or maybe in in a later time give them employment if we have our own house in order and really help them out that way. That's what true loving your neighbor is. It's not having government give you free stuff. It's actually helping you, helping us fulfill our role as we're called in Jesus Christ and his kingdom as, as Christians. And as Americans, everybody has a dream. Everybody wants happiness and a role then it's fulfilling your role in achieving your dream. It's a very simple formula, much more difficult to play out on the ground. Yeah, and it's also one of those things, too, where oftentimes, you know, I keep pointing back to the fact that, you know, giving just giving people stuff, and especially when you have, like, a cap-off when it comes to you can only earn so much money, or else we're going to take away your free health care, we're going to take away your, you know, free housing or whatever it is. Um, you know, it, it's you're incentivizing people to stay poor and to stay in the in, in in the lower class and that sort of thing. And I and I think if 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 we as conservatives can really get back to really pushing the American dream and hey, you can make something of yourself. You you could start a business. You know, you don't you don't always need a multi million dollar investment to start a business. You could start something small. Just support yourself. You don't have to start a multinational corporation. Uh, to be considered a, sex, a successful business person. Yeah, you don't. And right now, we've kind of lost the mooring of the idea that that. And I want to be really clear. I, I don't think people should pursue, you know, happiness as a purpose. They should pursue what their purpose is. And as a Christian, I believe you find that in in God. I believe you find that in Jesus Christ. And we need to be very clear about that, that everybody does have a purpose, and you can help fulfill that purpose. And just like in 1643 in the Articles of Confederation of the United Colonies, the first document uniting all the colonies together, the first line, it talked about their purpose being to expand the kingdom of Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel and purity with peace. That That is a great 
statement for kind of a goal for a community once everybody's fulfilling their purposes. It's fantastic if we can grasp that vision again. And I think for a lot of people, they've lost that vision. And, and by losing that vision, they've lost hope. So as conservatives, one of the other things that we need to do is reinstill that vision of America, that you can fulfill your purpose, that there is a reason for you to be on this earth. And that as part of doing that, communities get better when people's uh, purposes and their lives are fulfilled. I think we need to reinstill that vision and watch the lights come on in America right now as people are, are looking around at each other saying, what just happened to us? Yeah, and, and, I, th- and I think part, part of that too comes back to how, how, do, how do we get over this extreme polarization that, that we're going through. Like, like literally, I'm, again, being in California, you take two feet and you bump into a liberal. Like, that's just, just the reality of it. But, the, but the thing is, is that how, how do we, like, I'm, I'm literally following like social media threads of like personal friends on like my personal Facebook page and things like that. And literally some are like, you know, Democrats, are evil, they're demonic, whatever it is. And then the people on the left are saying Republicans, they're evil, demonic, all that kind of stuff. And there's this extreme polarization and straw men arguments and all this. How, how do we get past this as Americans? Because I feel like we're just heading to this clash that is like unavoidable. Well, as, as again, as Christians, you know, going back to the, the rooting, yeah. we need to pray for folks and particularly folks that have wronged us you know, and we've all had that happen where, you know, it just kind of came out of left field. And you're like, I, I didn't even do anything wrong. You still need to forgive them and bless them in Jesus' name and just, you know, make it so it's not on you. The second thing is one of the fallacies that we have in modern times is that polarization is actually a bad thing. Polarization is not a bad thing if we're talking right and wrong. I mean, if we're talking, hey, that's murder and that's not murder, that that's actually a good thing. I think what what is infecting America is that there is a group of people that want to have political power and control virtually the entire country at any cost. And I think that that's where there's this kind of visceral reaction to it. So we need to recognize it. We don't hate them. They're very lost and we need to pray for them. But we also need to stand firmly on a line like we did the other day at the Spokane County Courthouse and say, what is happening right now is wrong. Your job is to do this. And we expect you to stand up and do this, and uh, we're going to support you uh, if and when you do. I think that that's kind of the way to do it. Now, there's there's going to be some people that you're just never going to kind of be able to reason with, and that's just part of life. But to the extent we can leave, uh, live peaceably with all men, we're supposed to do that. And I think that that's you know that's the best advice that is out there. But polarization right now is also happening, I think, because some people are being willfully ignorant. They don't want to read the primary source documents. They don't want to read the classics. They don't want to go back. They, they even reject the notion that truth existed 300 years ago. You know what I mean? And you, you get into these kind of interesting discussions with them when they say, oh, you know, the, the founding fathers were a bunch of white, greedy slave owners. Right? I mean, you probably heard that yourself. And you say, well, did you know that the founding fathers actually did multiple attempts legislatively to try to end slavery? before the Declaration of Independence. Did you know that? And it was actually listed in one of the first drafts of the Declaration of Independence reported to the Continental Congress that one of the reasons for separation was that King George was the one that was stopping them from ending slavery in the colonies. Did you know that? And did you know that the Founding Fathers actually prohibited the importation of slaves on January 1st, 1808? Did you know that? And they're like, what, what, where is that in history? And now we can have a conversation. 
So I think you try to get folks to a point where they can actually listen to primary source documents. And one of the ways that that can only happen is if they know you care about them. And so you have to say it in a way that they know that you care about them, not that you're just trying to browbeat them and, and win the argument. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and, I, and I think that one of the other things, too, that you know we really need to do is we really – like you were saying, we really need to get back to actually studying all this stuff for ourselves because, I mean, most conservatives wouldn't even know that, though, the, the, the history of all this kind of stuff as well. We just know the talking points that we hear, that we hear the headlines, the, the things that we hear in the mainstream media or that we got in public school. Luckily, I was homeschooled, but, uh, but, 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 yeah, but, but, but it, but it comes back to where are, you know, where are the conservatives in the sense of actually learning a lot of this kind of stuff? Cause we can't really articulate it if we don't know it ourselves. Well, I think homeschooling, I think private schooling, I think some of these online academies like Freedom, Freedom Project Academy uh, that are coming up very quickly right now are, are great ways to learn a lot of this stuff. And then, you know, also read or, or listen to these types of podcasts where you can start, you know, wait, what, 1808, January 1st? I'm going to go look that up. Great. That's a great start. You know, uh, going and looking up the Congressional Report 1853 and the Senate Report. Um, of 1853 and 1854, where after a lengthy investigation, because Marxism was kind of infiltrating America at that time, they asked the question, are we really a Christian nation? And there was a congressional investigation that concluded we are a Christian nation, you know, that we were founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And then a Supreme Court case in 1892 called Holy Trinity versus U.S., where the Supreme Court said, quote, this is a Christian nation, end quote. You can go find those things, read it for yourself. So you you have skin in the game, and then you can start pointing your friends and neighbors in the right direction when they say things. And you say, well, you know, have you read this? And they'll say no. And say, well, hey, why don't you read this? Take a look at it. And it's not confrontational. It's more educational. And that attitude, I think, is a lot better received. Yeah. And and, and I think, you know, for me, one of the things that, you know, I mean, obviously my podcast is called Conversations with Jeff. But but I think for me, like one of the things that we can do more of is actually just converse with people and just talk with people and talk through things. Because I, th- I feel like for so long, especially as conservatives, we're scared to have the conversation. The liberals and the leftists, they're willing to have the conversations and then just, you know, ram everything down your throat and, and, and then tell you that you're racist or bigoted or whatever it is if you disagree with them. But I think if we can actually start engaging in a positive, rational way – you know, maybe we could slowly mark, start making some of those inroads with friends and family that were, the, or maybe they disagree with us or they're not educated or they don't know some of this stuff. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. I had some uh, some folks that um, considered themselves Marxists that were in my office earlier this year, and, and I just started asking some questions, and, 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 you know, we actually agreed on some things. 
you know, we actually had compassion for our fellow human beings. We actually wanted to see our friends and neighbors succeed. We actually wanted to see them prosperous. We actually wanted to see their health, uh, you know, their health care good so that they were healthy and active in the community, you know. And, And it was amazing. You could see this light come on on their faces. Well, these guys aren't the monsters that people have told me. And this is critical, I think. People are telling other people that person is a monster. And I think you've got to be really careful with that. And there are monsters out there that have been objectively proven with primary source evidence. Okay, so those are monsters. But there are people out there that that's just the easy thing to say instead of having an intellectual conversation and understanding logical fallacies. You know, that, well, you, you know, just because you said that that happened. What is your proof for that? Well, I, I just know better than you do. And we're seeing that actually in government here in Washington State right now. But, but well, Governor Inslee, you were walking down a, 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 a path and you were upset because somebody else was walking down the path and you had closed it. Now, you didn't even realize the hypocrisy of that, right? But a lot of other people this, hey, you know what? That actually isn't probably right. And oh, by the way, we need to be healthy. We should be out walking. It's inherently socially distant, especially when the wind's blowing. So... Anyway, I, I think that those are the kind of conversations, like you said, that we need to have. And um, Thanksgiving dinner is a great time to do it, but once a year is, is far too infrequent. We need to be doing it every week, taking our friends out to coffee, um, learning a little bit more about them personally. And what I've found in talking with people and being overseas in the military and talking with folks in, in crisis uh, is that generally if we knew everybody's story, we would probably weep. We would probably weep and we would probably just be absolutely humbled at all of the things that they had to deal with and go through. And if we can kind of recognize that in every human being, we can actually find a source to start from, you know, a common platform to start from. Because suffering and misery, every single person has experienced and, and people have experienced trauma in their lives. And, and so there's a vulnerability there that is a great starting place of I care for you. I actually care for you about that. And then we can talk about some of these other things as well. Hey, this is Jeff Dornick, founder of the GK Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope that you'll subscribe to this channel and give us a five-star review. You have no idea how much this helps us. Also, if you'd like to watch the full version of the show, you can join our plugged-in membership. For only $10 a month, you'll get access to the live stream and full video versions of our shows, the recordings from the Destroy Social Justice Conference, online access to our book, Social Injustice, our weekly devotional, 30% off in the GK store, and so much more. Please visit gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in for more information and to sign up. Thank you for your support. Yeah, well, you know, like I've I've had a similar experience in dealing with, uh, you know, from like a theological standpoint, where I I grew up in a very hardcore like five point Calvinist family, cessationist, <laughs> so we don't believe in the in the gift of tongues or miracles or anything like that, right? And it was always those charismatics over there are crazy. They're the monsters. They're the false teachers. They're the heretics. They're all they're all going to hell, right? That was literally like basically my my childhood, right? But but then but then I you know I grow up and then I start talking to some of these people and I'm like. Start hanging out with Kim Peters, our mutual friend. He's like, he's charismatic. But at the same time, he's become one of my best friends. It's like very, very cool. Because once you start talking to people and you start hearing their story and you start hearing their heart and behind, like what's behind their motivation, uh, for like either their, their belief system or their testimony or whatever it is, you start realizing they're people. 
Like, maybe we disagree on something, and we can debate it, we can discuss it, but at the same time, there's still people. And, and I've had the same, I've had a similar experience in, you know, cause I've, I used to work in like Hollywood and around the entertainment industry and things like that. Spoken with celebrities. They're people. Like, I've had conversations with these guys. People that, you, like, most people would be like, that guy's an evil, crazy Hollywood, whatever person. And you're like, he's just a dude. Maybe he's totally way off on, on his politics, but like, he talk he talks to you like a normal person. He has the same insecurities, the same struggles, whatever it is. He just maybe has more money, more famous, you know, more famous. They're still people. You got to remember that. They are still people, and and I think that that essence of humanity, we just we we can't ever lose sight of that. I'll tell you a short story. I was in Bosnia in two thousand. Um, this was uh, five years after the war, and there are mass graves kind of everywhere that we were finding. Quite literally, people were coming back to their homes the first time in five years. They're finding mass graves in their front yard. And so anyway, I'm walking up to one of these mass graves, and there's this lady, and she's sitting on top of three bodies like a chair, and she's brushing in the dirt. And she goes, oh, there it is, and pulls a bullet out of the ground. And I said, ma'am, can you kind of explain to me what you're doing? Because there were you know, skeletons laying around. Some of them still had their hands bound with wire. Some still had the blindfolds on, on the skulls. It was just, it was surreal actually. And she looked at me and she said, well, they would make these people kneel at the side of a, a grave and then they would shoot them in the back of the head. They would land on their own bullet. So I'm matching the bullet to the body. And then because the Serbs in this case, it was the Drina River Wolves kept such meticulous records, were matching that to the rifle and matching that to the person that was assigned that rifle were prosecuting them for war crimes. Whoa. And and right then the Lord hit me between the eyes. That actually started me on my my journey to give my life to Jesus Christ. But what really hit me then was that there was that kind of evil in the world and those people had been so dehumanized that somebody could walk right up to them and shoot them like it was nothing. Yeah. In, in a grave like that. And we we need to understand it's very dangerous when you start seeing a New York Times editorial saying that Christians are causing the COVID-19 virus and they're to blame, and you start dehumanizing people like that, that that is a very, very bad path to start going down because it can result in the ultimate dehumanization, which is just wholesale slaughter of populations. And uh, we saw that in the former Soviet Union. We saw that in uh, the National Socialist Regime in Germany, and we've seen that uh, in China as well. And so we don't want to go there as Americans and the way not to go there is, like you said, we have to have these conversations that are open, they're honest, and they're mature. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, th- and I think especially if we're trying to figure out what direction are we going to go as a country, uh, you know, we're going to have to start opening up some of those inroads to be able to have those conversations, even if we very strongly disagree. And I feel like one of those things, too, is dealing with, like, the issue of abortion and pro-life and things like that. And I think – that's one of those things, obviously, it's very polarizing, uh, and again, rightly so. It's one of those things that's either right or wrong. There's no, there's really no middle ground. But at the same time, we got to figure out how can we have these conversations to actually get enough people to open up their eyes to come around to the pro-life side of things so we can actually deal with this thing. Because right now, I feel like we're at the stalemate to a certain degree. Well, I, you know, I think it's it's the, the humanization of the baby, you know, that, that is a baby and, and you can see the toes and you can see the fingers and you can see the eyes and that, that's a baby. That's a human being. And I think that technology actually has made a lot of this argument for us on the issue of life. And the second argument too is again, loving our neighbor. You know, if, if there is a, a, a young woman in crisis, then she should be confident 
that there is going to be a place for her to stay. There's going to be a place for her baby to stay. They're going to be taken care of. And as Christians, we're admonished to take care of widows and orphans, right? You know, we're admonished to do this. So we should be reaching out. And our, our crisis pregnancy centers should be booming. We should have maternity homes in every single town in America if that's what it takes. Uh, and, and maybe that's for 20 years. Maybe it's for 30 years until there's a handle on this. But the fact of the matter is, instead of feeling rejected, those folks should feel loved and, and welcomed into these places. So once you get to that point, there's very little argument left for abortion. Yeah, all, all the arguments actually are taken away. Yeah, because one of the things that they always throw back at conservatives is, well, you're against welfare. So, so thus, you know, abortion is, you know, in their mind, the, the logical answer to, well, you don't want people on welfare, so we're going to abort them. But it's like, if we would take responsibility and say, I'm going to do something myself, take the government out of it, I'm going to do something myself, maybe foster, maybe adopt, maybe provide assistance to the mother. There's so many different options. We just need Christians and conservatives to step up and, and do it. And there, there are a lot of really good organizations doing that as well. There are. And one of the things, too, is, you know, there have been some things, at least in Washington State, where government has gotten too far involved in the foster care system and made it harder to actually adopt or harder to do foster care. We need to get rid of those barriers. I mean, there needs to be some common sense, obviously, but we need to get rid of those barriers because the need is just unbelievable. It's unreal. And I think, again, as Christians, it's just a matter of living beyond the four walls of the church and not just being there on Sunday, great message, and living totally different from Monday through Saturday, you know? We, we've got to get back to that. One of the other parts of that, too, that I would mention on the on the life issue is and a lot of people say, well, Matt, how could you possibly ever, ever say that a woman that has been raped should have that child, right? And, and, and you know, conservatives are really afraid to talk about this issue. So let's talk about this issue right now. The fact of the matter is that it is wrong to add one tragedy to another, and it was not that baby's fault. It just wasn't. And the fact of the matter is if adoption is an option, then we should be pursuing that. And a lot of moms that I have talked to about these issues, you know, and, and one of them being like, uh, you know, if there's a medical issue and it might put the mother's life in jeopardy, to a mom, they have all said, I would rather give my life up for my baby than the other way around. And I think most moms intuitively feel that way. I think it's our job as, as Christians to fill that need, which is just, even with all the great organizations we have, they all know they're not meeting anywhere near the need, and we need we need to put our efforts into that issue if we want to win the life argument. If we want to win it, we need to be Christians again. Absolutely, and so you know, kind of, kind of as we're wrapping up as well, like what what's your view of where we're going as America, and then also as conservatives, like do, like what what do we need to be really focused on or really doing as we're coming out of this stay at home order, coronavirus crisis, all that kind of stuff. How do we move forward as a country and as conservatives? Well, there's a couple things. First, the largest voting block in America is Christians. The largest voting block in America that doesn't vote is Christians. The largest voting block in America that is not registered to vote is Christians. The largest voting block that is registered to vote but that doesn't vote is Christians. I mean, it's just you go down the line, and most elections are decided by only a few thousand votes. So you're talking maybe only a couple of churches showing up, large churches showing up, that can make the difference. And the fact of the matter is that when we show up as Christians, society is transformed. It has to be. If we're truly the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body of the believer, 
it's going to be transformed, but we need to start showing up. We need to show up and we need to be involved in these things. That's number one. Number two, we need to talk about fundamental principles again. You know, this idea that, that this country can be just shut down on a whim or shut down for, for, you know, very dubious reasons. We need to put folks in to understand the Constitution, that understand our history, that are well read into elected office instead of folks that maybe haven't read or they don't want to read. I think that's one of the other big things. I think the, the third thing is, as churches, we need to start being ministers again, expanding the kingdom outside the four walls and being in our communities and at our malls and in the places nobody else wants to go. You know, it's interesting. There was a plague before. There was a bubonic plague, and it was Christians that were out ministering, hospitaliers, that were ministering to people. It's where the word hospital comes from, even though nobody else wanted to touch these folks. So we've got to be willing to trust God and go into places that some folks don't want to go into. And that really, I mean, people are like, why are you doing this for me? That's true love. So that is what I would advocate. Um, those three things, there's there's a ton more, but we have to be well read and we have to know what we believe. And so if you're listening right now, you're watching right now, read the Bible cover to cover, read the Constitution, and even the hard part in the list of kings and begot so-and-so, read all that stuff. There's a reason it's there. Read the Constitution cover to cover. Read your state Constitution cover to cover because we can't really even have a conversation unless we know what we believe. Absolutely, absolutely. So if people want to, you know, keep up on you, how things are going with, you know, with with you in, in campaigns and, you know, what you're talking about and all that kind of stuff, what's the best way for them to do that? They can go to votesheashea.com. They can also check me out on Facebook. I've got a, uh, my personal Facebook page has a lot of material on it um, and a lot of links to some of the stuff that we've talked about. So it's a great way to do it. And uh, I'm going to be traveling again uh, over the summer, God willing, that we're opened up. Uh, we'll be we'll be traveling around. I travel around quite frequently and give presentations all over about kind of what the threats are we, we're facing and also that freedom is the cure. Now, I want to say that again. Freedom is the cure. It always has been and always will be. Absolutely. So, but yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed our conversation and that sort of thing. Again, these kinds of issues are things that I think we really need to keep talking about as Americans and as Christians coming out of this to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Like, we need to make sure this does not happen again. It can't happen again in our lifetime. Jeff, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. And then, and then for everybody else as well, uh, we're, we're actually going to be back here tomorrow for another episode of Conversations with Jeff with uh, Dr. Bobby Lopez. Uh, we're going to have a fascinating conversation. He was great when we had him on last time. So definitely tune in for that. We'll be back tomorrow for another episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC.